Believers will need great strength and boldness in those days, and as we'll hear today, they'll certainly have it. We'll learn more as we join Pastor Phil for our study. Let's listen. Once you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and His blood is applied to your account, all your sins are washed away, right? Where He takes the blood of Christ and basically stamps on your ledger of all the sins you've ever committed and ever will commit, paid in full, Remember what Paul said in Colossians 2? He has nailed all of our transgressions to his cross and has taken them what? Out of the way. Forgiven us for all of our sins. So how can the devil accuse us if our sins are already taken care of? Is the idea. The devil can accuse us if he wants to, but there's no basis for it because our account has been paid in full. The devil tries to say, God, they owe you. They owe you. They're blowing it. They're sinning. See, in the Jewish mind, every sin was a debt that they owed God. So the devil steps forward and says, God, look at your servant, Phil. Look at what he does. Look at how he blows it. He owes you, God. He owes you a debt. And Jesus steps forward and says, no, he doesn't. I've already taken care of it. I've already washed those sins clean. All of them. So they overcame him First of all, or they will overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb. Secondly, by the word of their testimony. The word of their testimony. These people are going to be so committed to God during this period of time. Don't forget now. There'll be no luxuries. There'll be no you know, vacations. There'll be no uh, fancy cars and nice houses. We're talking about a time when true believers are going to be hunted and persecuted and tortured and killed. There is nothing in the world at this time that they're going to be entangled in. You know what I'm saying? No distractions like we have. They're going to be so focused on their mission. It's like our brothers and sisters in India. We support many of the uh, missionaries over there, the indigenous uh, missionaries. You know, when they are going to enter into a city to preach the gospel, they first dig a grave because they recognize that there's a good possibility they're going to be killed. But they're willing to die because the message, the testimony of Jesus is more important than anything this world has to offer, even life itself. So they're going to be so committed to the Lord at this time, so focused on their ministry, which is to, to preach the gospel. That's the testimony that we're talking about. The word of their testimony is the testimony of Jesus, which we're going to see in verse 17. It's the gospel. And verse uh, number three, they did not love their lives to the death. How can Satan defeat somebody who doesn't care if they live or die? So focused on their mission to reach the lost, 
As Paul said, for me to live, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Is gain. How do you stop a guy like that? He doesn't care. He said, Lord, I, if you want me to stick around a little longer, praise you. I can serve you longer. And if not, I go to glory. It's a win-win situation. And these people are going to be so focused on sharing the gospel with people who are lost. And it doesn't matter if the Antichrist kills them or not. Nothing is going to dissuade them from their ministry. And folks, let me say this to you. This is how we overcome the devil today. Same way, you know, doesn't change. The way you're going to have victory as a Christian, the way you're really going to walk in power, is first of all, you recognize that the blood of Christ has completely cleansed you of all sin. I'm not saying you don't sin. I'm saying when you do sin, the blood of Christ continually cleanses you of that. In other words, the devil can't really accuse you. As we said Sunday, you got to put on the helmet of salvation. You'll never live like a victorious Christian if you're always thinking to yourself because you've blown it so many times that God has rejected you and you're not a Christian anymore. The assurance of your salvation is very important and that you are so focused on your ministry, it's all about sharing Christ, whether it's with your life, which is the primary way, or with your words. You don't lose sight of your mission, the Great Commission, which has today become the Great Omission. You'll never... Feel the power and the joy and the love and all the things God has promised His people. I mean, you'll never feel it more powerfully than when you go out and share your faith with somebody. You can be used by God to share your faith and to see somebody come to Christ. Even if they don't come to Christ, you know what a rush it is to share your faith, right? And we don't do it because we want the rush. But you know what? There's something, you know, as as somebody has said, evangelize or fossilize. I mean, that's just all there is to it. Either you get out there and you, and you share your faith or you're going to dry up spiritually. And they did not love their lives to the death. Well, we don't face death in America yet for preaching Christ, although things may change rather rapidly as we approach the one world government. So we'll have to see. But this is how we still overcome the devil today, by going to the cross every day and living for Jesus. Verse 12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Yes, three and a half years. Look, Satan comes down to the earth with great wrath. He, he knows his time is short. He's like a, um, a wounded, cornered animal. He knows he's only got a short time left before he is bound and cast into the abuso for a thousand years. And then eventually after that into hell forever. So right now, as we, he's thrown out of heaven, he is furious. He's furious. And, you know, somebody might ask the question, well, why doesn't he just give it up? He knows he's defeated. I mean, why not just give it up? Why does he continue on, you know, for the last three and a half years, why doesn't he just surrender? Just, just you know, take the white flag, just give up. You have to understand, Satan is brilliant, and he is beautiful, but he is utterly depraved and probably insane. I'm thinking, personally, 
that he actually thinks he's still got a shot. I mean, he's so warped in his thinking. His pride has so made him so deranged and probably even insane on some level that he actually thinks he can still go to war with God and win. The beauty of it is, no matter how desperate the situation looks on earth when he comes down with great wrath, we know that he is a defeated foe. He's a defeated foe. I mean, he's going to cause a lot of problems before it's all over, but, you know, it's going to be over someday. I love the words of Martin Luther's magnificent hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It really fits right here. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not at him. For his rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. And that's the word that's going to come out of Jesus' mouth in Revelation 19 when he comes back to the earth and he fights against the devil and all the rebels who have gathered together for war against the Lord. He is going to fight against them with the sword that proceeds out of his mouth, which is the word. So the great tribulation begins, well, verse 13 says, Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child, to Jesus, which means he persecuted, he's going to persecute Israel. And as we have said, the great tribulation actually begins at the midpoint of the last seven years, and it corresponds with the devil being cast out of heaven. In the Old Testament, this period of time is called the time of Jacob's trouble. Let's read one more time out of Matthew 24, and we'll just see this quickly. But Jesus is talking about now this period of time that we call the Great Tribulation. He said in Matthew 24, verse 15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Well, of course, that's a reference to the Antichrist setting up his image in the Holy of Holies, demanding to be worshipped as God. Now he shows his true colors. Now the mask comes off. No longer a man of peace, right? The great, you know, communicator, the great, you know, peacemaker. Now he shows his true colors. And he demands to be worshipped as God by putting his image in the Holy of Holies. Jesus said, when you see that happen, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes but woe to those who are pregnant and those to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And of course, that corresponds with Daniel 12, verse 1, talking about now this very period of time when the devil is cast out of heaven, comes down to the earth with great wrath, and for three and a half years the people of this world are subjected to horrors they can't even imagine, unlike anything that has ever occurred in the history of the world. And if you've ever studied world history, you see how brutal emperors and kings and kingdoms and nations have been to people. I mean, we can't even imagine what it's going to be like for the people of this world at this time. Well, the devil is so angry because here he's wanted to be like the Most High. He's wanted to rule in heaven. Now he's just kicked out of heaven. So he's coming down to the earth now to vent his fury primarily on the people of Israel since 
They were the instrument through which God brought the Messiah to the earth in the first place. You remember, as we have studied this, that the devil tried to keep Messiah from being born by persecuting the Jewish people, right? Of course, God always thwarted it, and Jesus was eventually born, obviously. Well, by this time now, the devil knows, well, he can't stop Christ from being born. He's already been born, lived and died and resurrected. And now he's coming again to establish a kingdom. There's no way the devil's going to stop him coming back. But what he figures, you know what? I'm going to try to kill all the people on the earth who would be a part of that kingdom, the Jews. And so he's trying to wipe out, you know, the devil hates God so much, but he can't really do anything against God, right? How is he going to hurt God? He can't hurt God. So he hurts the people God loves. That's how he gets at God. You know, I heard a Satanist, I think it was an ex-Satanist, I'm hoping it was, I think it was, talking about this. It sent chills up and down my spine when he said this. He said, the reason that Satanists will sacrifice infant babies to the devil is because they want to hurt God. And they figure the best way to hurt God is to hurt those that are most innocent, which would be a baby. How perverted the devil is. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that we're going to see here on a worldwide scale, is the devil hates God so much, but he can't really get at God, so he's going to get at the people that God loves. And primarily, we're looking at Israel. But God is going to prepare a special place for the Jews, this remnant, a place for them to flee to where they're going to be protected. We've already studied this, but again, it's being recounted here. So verse 14 says, But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. Now the devil has come down. He's going to try to persecute the woman, Israel, who gave birth to Christ. And so it says in verse 14, But the woman, Israel, was given two wings of a great eagle. Now, in my studies, I came across some who had the opinion that the two wings might be a reference to America since the eagle is our national symbol, right? And people have ventured the opinion that possibly uh, the United States could airlift people out of Israel down to Petra. Is that possible? I suppose. Is it probable? I don't think so. I don't think it could happen, all right? I think that the Lord is just simply saying, as he said in other times, uh, talking about giving uh, Israel wings like an eagle to flee. That imagery is not new. In Exodus 19, verse 4, God said, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. God is saying that those people that tried to destroy you, I took care of. I gave you, as it were, eagle's wings. In other words, I led you out of that persecution to come to me in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 32, verses 11 and 12. It says, As an eagle stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings, so the Lord alone led him, and there was no foreign god with him. Speaking there of Jacob, I believe, but as the father of Israel. The idea is that God has used this imagery before of giving his people, in a sense, wings like eagles to, to take them away from persecution to himself. 
And again, we read in verse 14, but the woman who uh, was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And again, people say, well, here she's given two wings and she flies into the wilderness. Doesn't that prove some kind of an airlift? Maybe. I don't know. All right. It doesn't really matter. God gets them down there one way or another. You know, doesn't really matter how logistically God does it. He's going to do it. He's going to get his people out from under the persecution of the Antichrist. Remember now, he's put up his image in the Holy of Holies. The people of Israel who are watching TV, uh, watching this taking place live on television, see this man who they thought was their Messiah, setting up his image in the Holy of Holies, demanding now to be worshipped as God. And those who are believers see this and go, it's time for us to leave. Don't even gather food. Don't get clothes. We need to run now. And they flee all the way down to Petra. I'm convinced to Petra, which is in the land of Moab on the southeastern side of the Dead Sea. Why do I believe that? Well, we looked at these a couple weeks ago, but in Daniel 11, verse 41, talking about the Antichrist, Talking about this very period of time, it says, He shall enter the glorious land. It's a reference to Israel. And many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. That's modern-day Jordan, all of these, okay, in the land of Jordan. In fact, the capital of Jordan is what? Ammon. And so it's the same area we're talking about. Isaiah 16, verse 4. Let my outcast dwell with you, O Moab. Petra, this, the rock city of Petra is in the land of Moab, again, modern Jordan. Let my outcast, God is saying, dwell with you, O Moab. Be a shelter to them from the face of the spoiler, reference to the Antichrist. For the extortioner is at an end, devastation ceases, the oppressors are consumed out of the land. And so... We believe that God is going to allow a remnant of Israel to escape down into a place where the Antichrist, for whatever reason, is not going to be able to get at them. This area, Jordan, for some reason the Antichrist can't get down there. He, his, his authority doesn't stretch down there, and therefore the Jews will be safe in Petra, which I believe is where they're going to be held up for the last three and a half years. Some of them, a faithful remnant. Others are going to be slaughtered, and we're going to see some of them, are, well, many of them will be in ministry to the Lord. But uh, I want to just show you that um, the survival of the Jewish people throughout history is a testimony to the existence and faithfulness of God. You know, it's Queen Victoria who said to her prime minister one day, show me one thing that proves the Bible is absolutely true. And his response was interesting and accurate. He said, the Jew, madam, the Jew. There is no way this people should be alive today. There is no way, after everything they've been through, that the nation of Israel should be alive today. It's only a testimony to the grace of God who said he was going to watch over these people. And even though they were going to be persecuted like no other people have ever been persecuted on the face of the earth, he was going to preserve them alive and they would enter into a kingdom that Messiah would establish when he returns. And we're going to see that happen.
Well, verse 15 says, So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. Now, this could be a literal flood of water. We don't know. Or it could be symbolic for a great army. Uh, Jeremiah 46, verse 8 says, Egypt rises up like a flood, and its waters move like the rivers. Talk about the armies of Egypt. And he says, I will go up and cover the earth. I will destroy the city and its inhabitants. So there, the Egyptian army is likened to a flood of waters because it covers the land It's so many. And in Jeremiah 47, verse 2, the same language is used of the Assyrians, who were a great, mighty army of world empire. And they covered the land, their armies like a flood. It could be that this is just simply a reference to the armies of Antichrist, which are, being, which are really being orchestrated by the devil himself. Just the idea that he hates the Jewish people so much when they begin to flee down to Petra that he releases just a vast number, you know, just a tremendous army to chase them, to capture them or to kill them. Verse 16 says, But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Now, we read throughout the book of Revelation, many earthquakes take place during this time. It could be that during one of these earthquakes, the earth literally splits open, and if it's really water, the water is, you know, drawn into this gigantic opening in the earth where the, and the Jews are saved. And if it's an army... The Antichrist army will. Then obviously, like Pharaoh's army was drowned in the Red Sea, these are, you know, fall into this gigantic pit and are killed. We don't know which it is. We just know that God protects his people. Well, verse 17. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and went to make war with the rest of her offspring. See, now a remnant flees down to Petra. He can't get at them. God is supernaturally protecting them. So what does he do? Well, the devil causes then the armies of Antichrist to turn and to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And this probably refers to the 144,000 Jewish believers, but it could also refer to other Christian Jews and Gentiles that will be alive during the last three and a half years. Those people that are now witnessing and serving the Lord and are being slaughtered by the tens of thousands by the Antichrist. And you got a faithful remnant of Jews tucked away in Petra for three and a half years. But 144,000 Jewish believers are out witnessing. They're standing up for Jesus, right? And the Antichrist is picking them off like crazy. In fact, we'll just end by reading something we've already studied, but it, this is where we see now where it's going to be happening in Revelation chapter 7. In Revelation 7, starting at verse 9, it says, And after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell, uh, and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might 
be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? Listen to verse 14. And I, John, said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So these are tribulation saints who have been martyred now. Just as we have read how the devil can't get at the remnant of Israel, so he turns his fury on the rest of the offspring of Israel who are converted, the 144,000 and other believers at this time, and the Antichrist begins to slaughter them by the tens of thousands. A great number appears in heaven, innumerable, wearing white robes, which speaks of Christ's righteousness. And when John, you know, the elder says, John, where do these come from? He says, I, I don't know, sir. You know. These are the ones that have come out of the great tribulation. They have been martyred for their faith, and they stand now in the presence of God. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. day, by day.